0: I like squatting, oscillating isometrics. I don't love it, but I, but I like it. But I like the hip flexion probably the best. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, I think that's where true athleticism comes to a, I think that's everything in a nutshell. You have to build tension, and then you have to release it and allow your tendon system to drive the work, and then you have to have your muscular system stabilized. So it's everything that happens in sport happens in that exercise. And the more creative you can be based off the exercise you're doing and creating that stimulus, I think the better output that you're going to get from the system. So, um, yeah, it's a big part of what I do.
1: That was Dan Fichter of Want to Get Fast talking about oscillatory isometrics and how they are so important for transfer to sport and movement on the field of play. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 93 of the Just Fly Performance podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and today we welcome back to the show strength coach, performance coach, Dan Fichter. He's the owner of Want to Get Fast, a sports performance business in Rochester, New York, and he is one of the most innovative and educated coaches in the field. Uh, I've I've probably mentioned this in other podcasts, but I first met Dan uh, back at the first track football consortium. It may have been called the track speed consortium back then. I'm not really sure, but got to meet him in person after reading a lot of his writing back on the InnoSport website from the mid to late 2000s, which had a huge impact on me, just really getting me away from the idea of lifting weights up and down at controlled speed or even a fast speed is all there is. Um, InnoSport opened me up to the worlds of isometrics, oscillatory isometrics, different brackets of work, um, arrangement principles, uh, capacity principles. Uh, The biggest thing that really hit home with me that I still use today, uh, the terminology and, and the really... Almost the complicatedness of it all, uh, having its own little lingo, I think really turned a lot of people off. Um, but what really stuck with me was just the idea of the static spring working the static spring and tension relaxation and optimizing the body on a neurological level and I can't think of many coaches or any coach that really does that better or has a better working knowledge of neurology and reflexes and how it fits into the system uh, than Dan Fichter. And so really excited to have him to the show. He uh, he was on back on episode 8 and episode 36 with Chris Corfist, where they were talking about um, the DB Hammer emails, how DB Hammer kind of influenced how, how they train athletes. And I, I have a, a series of those emails. I actually had a lot of questions based off them. So today's episode, uh, I brought Dan back, and he is going to expand in detail on a lot of these InnoSport style, Jay Schrader style training methods. And uh, this is a coach's episode. This is going to have a lot of exercises that will go directly into your toolkit, ideas that will go directly into your toolkit, and things that you can use right away. And I, I love talking with Dan about this because We actually had last episode, we had Jerome Simeon, who is a colleague of Dan's, uh, and I also uh, was mentored by Jay Schrader. And so the more of these coaches I talk to, I feel like the more that system hits home for me, the more I understand it, the more I can implement it into my systems. And I just love having talks like this. Uh, The brain and the nervous system and how it works is just one of the coolest things. And the idea that your body is always capable of more than you think it is right at this very moment. When your nervous system is hitting correctly, your muscles are working with each other correctly, you're in the right position, you're sensing the right things, it's just like, boom, you are capable of something you did not think possible. And Dan's work, I think, is an epitome of this style, this thought of getting more out of athletes. So for today's episode, uh, Dan's going to go into detail on long-duration isometrics how he uses them, how he gets uh, better results out of it than just doing barbell lifting, as well as how he uses them to enhance barbell lifting. Uh, he also goes in-depth on the training method he mentioned in Episode 8, which is oscillatory isometrics, which is one of my personal favorites. Uh, and Dan explains it really well. Uh, he also goes into detail on in harnessing the reflex system. He talks about sensory inputs and other topics of power and performance. As I said, this is a True Coaches episode. You're going to get a lot of great stuff out of this that you can really put right in your toolbox. And Always love talking to Dan. Let's get on to the show. Dan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here today.
0: Great to be here. Great to be back.
1: Yeah, hey, so what's, uh, what's new in the world of Dan Victor since we last talked, shoot, maybe nine months ago? Anything, anything new you're, you're learning, you're on to, or anything cool happening if want to want to get fast?
0: Um, always, always learning. Um, always learning. Got, got stuff going all over the place. And Chris and I are are still chasing the same pace of research as we were when we were in our mid twenties. And, uh, it's just the love of, of learning more about the human body, which I'm pretty sure we know nothing about. (laughs) It's crazy.
1: Yeah. It is an insanely complex uh, piece of machinery, and it's uh, like we've said before, man. In fifty years, it's gonna be so cool to see where everything's come with, uh, with how well we can train our bodies and what we know about it. And uh, yeah, I love talking with you about this stuff, man. Uh, hey, so well, first question or thing to get into and. Uh, what's been on my mind a lot lately and then what i kind of one of the reasons i wanted to reach out to you again is i keep going through all those db hammer emails and and i am always like man what is you know this is intriguing what's going on here and, and i gotta ask dan a little bit more about this and and uh first question i kind of wanted to kick off with what we were just talking about before we started was sharing how you utilize specifically extreme isos long duration isos uh do you do it before or after the workout or both is there a uh, I guess like a predetermined reason for either. And maybe we'll just start there.
0: I've used it as a whole training system in itself. Um, it's great for teaching young kids motor patterns. It's great for teaching kids position. Um, and most athletes don't understand position when you get them. So it's a great teaching tool for that. Um, number one, number two is teaching somebody how to squat through using extreme isometrics is, is pretty incredible. Um, I was just reading a research article the other day on a on a squat that they call um, the Spanish squat where you use a pole. Have you heard of it? I, I don't. And, and when we recruit our hamstrings when we squat, it puts a completely different recruitment process in through the patella tendon. Your quads are lengthening. There's a whole bunch of different things that are happening that don't happen when you squat normally. And I, and I tell people when they squat normally, they're braking on the way down, meaning they're firing, they got their foot on the gas and the brake at the same time and they're going down. So when you learn how to squat using extreme isometrics, it, it really, it brings to light what what DB say in terms of motor patterns and, and, and the sequence of the firing. Um, so I, I, I think it's huge in terms of teaching motor
1: development. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I like what you said, using the ISO lunge to teach the squat. I, after being introduced to the lunges and, and, and working, you know, if I'm working with young athletes, like 10 year olds at the track club, it's kind of like these kids aren't ready to put a barbell on their back. They can't even, if they can't even do a lunge, you know, like if you can't even do an ISO lunge and someone's going to throw a bar on your back and say squat you're not going to get that much out of that i mean it's you you're going to put weight on the bar every week and you know maybe mom and dad think the sports performance place is doing the service but that that pattern isn't getting better and i think too just uh, i'll just clarify too just so people listening with the extreme isos or maybe if you want to uh, talk about what your how do you coach it like an iso lunge and then what do you look for and then how do you merge that into how you have your athlete squat
0: Okay, so first of all, when you're talking about isometrics, people think there's there's no movement, but it's actually an extremely, extremely slow eccentric contraction. So you're always moving, it's just you're moving so slow you can't see the movement, so it looks isometric. So um, when, when Jay first coined the term extreme isometrics, he, he told me, and I'm not quite sure this is true or not, but it kind of makes sense with his personality that he did it as, a, as almost like a joke to people who don't really understand what's going on. Um, so it's an extreme, extremely slow eccentric where you're pulling yourself into position the entire time, and there's never a time within that duration of how long you're holding it that you're not pulling yourself. So when most kids try to do an extreme isometric, they just get into a position and they hold it, which has some benefit. But if you understand the pulling part of the front foot, getting the hamstring to activate into that knee flexion and, and understand 90-degree angles, meaning your, your torso is straight up and down, your thigh straight straight uh, 90 degrees, your shin is perpendicular to the ground. And you start to understand those positions and how you're pulling yourself in. I think that's where the magic starts to happen.
1: Sure. So you're getting an athlete set up in that lunge, front shin parallel. They're, they're pulling themselves down with that front hamstring. And then when you do get them in the squat rack or goblet squat or whatever you start, you're, you're also coaching them to pull down with their hamstrings on the way down?
0: Always. And, um, and, and I think that's not something that's very natural to most athletes that come in. And when you start to teach them how to do it, it's, it's crazy because it's almost like all the pressure that's built up from multiple contractions and, and, and all these things that are going on go away. Um, people increase their range of motion. Um, When you squat and all of a sudden you activate your hamstrings on the way down, it's incredible how much deeper you can get, how much more of a perfect position you can get into when the body's behaving the way it was intended to do. So if you can't feel that hamstring, and most kids can't feel that hamstring or get it to recruit, we'll do some outside stuff where I'll put a band around the shin and I'll pull on it and they'll be like, oh, that's my hamstring activating. So now I've taught them how to feel it, and then we take the band off, and they can actually produce it themselves. So it, it's a, it's another good teaching tool is to use bands. And I'll I'll put that on some of the, the lectures that I've been at. Um, I'll put bands on people and have them come up and squat activating their hamstring, and they're like, it's like pressure's taken off my knees tremendously. Um so again, it teaches the right motor patterns.
1: Sure. How does that band work? So you, you're, you, are you standing in front of the athlete and the bands around their shin? You're pulling them forward? How, what positioning or alignment are you in?
0: Yep, correct. I'm standing right in front of them pulling it.
1: Yep. Okay, gotcha. And So that, that'll, that's kind of a tool to help them. It's cool. I'll have to go ahead and try that. Uh, I'm sure uh, that's something I've been thinking about a lot myself.
0: We'll do that on the wall squat too. We'll put the band around both legs and I'll stand in front and I'll pull the bands and they start to sink down. And they're like, oh, that's what it feels like. Um, back a long time ago, I used to put a towel out in front to make sure that nothing was slipping because you want to be pulling and most kids will get on there and brace themselves in that isometric. And that's not the right position to be in. Again, there'll be some benefit to that, but the magic happens when you're actually pulling yourself into
1: position. That's cool, man. I know. Yeah, that's, I feel like I've, every time I've tried to do that, inno sport Jay Schrader wall squat and try to feel my hamstring is I have a really hard time, which uh, for those of you listening, it's just basically a wall sit where you're trying to pull yourself down. That's like I feel like one of the harder ones to figure out of the, that ISO series.
0: And, and I'll go up to kids and I'm, I'm feeling their hamstring. And when you feel it, you can almost feel the oscillation where it turns on, turns off, turns on, turns off, turns on, off, because they can't recruit it fully. Um, and then you get the band on them and then they understand exactly what it feels like. And you can hold it way longer because now the quad, there's pressure off the quad. It's lengthening and, and good things are happening so it's good and now now with, with that being said and the way we teach that I stack that with some eye stuff and some cerebellum stuff to make the the motor pattern even more enhanced and to even get more out of it so yeah. it's it's neat
1: yeah I love it man uh, hey so you get an athlete come in young athlete they you know they're learning just how to get positioned, put things together are you having them do a few minutes of a lunge few minutes of a wall sit then getting in you know some squats or what's your what's your progression for when you feel like that's uh, something that they're ready to do to do it,
0: it, it could um if you're really young that's all you're doing you're doing multiple positional isometric work um and then i'll kind of throw in some other movement stuff just to make them happy like they're doing something Cause <laughs> you can't just have kids hold isometric contractions for five minutes because you wouldn't have any business Um, but what I, what I tell people is that if you get, if you stand with your feet six to eight inches apart and you slide your foot back on the same path and you don't move, let's say you're sliding your right foot back into that lunge position, there's not a lot of things in human movement outside of a squat, a lunge or a skater lunge that you're going to be called on to do in any athletic movement. So we make sure that we can perfect those movements understand the muscles that need to be recruited during those movements before we really start to advance into any plyometric or running stuff or any of that i'd call it more complex stuff
1: sure man i love what you said there i was talking uh alex lee is a chiropractic student uh, who i i met up with a few months ago and he's was mentored by uh, tommy john who worked with jay schrader and He had, he runs an exercise class in the mornings at his, I think it's Life University West where they just do the long duration ISOs. And that's the only workout that they do, but they're all into it because they're students and they get it. But like, I, and, and I'm, it's really effective, but it is interesting how, what parents will pay for, right? Like knowing, I don't know the facility, but knowing people who do, it's like parents aren't, they don't like this. They're not going to pay for this. It doesn't, but yet the simplest things are the most effective ones, not, you know, the things that are. Um, more, I guess, marketable, like all oh, the, the skippy, sprint-drilly-looking like, things that parents are like, whoa, that's awesome. Like, Look at that, you know?
0: I, I think I've told this to everybody who's ever interviewed me. I get phone calls from parents constantly. I've been working on my kid's form. I'm so appreciative of that. And I'm like, um, we don't run much. They're like, well, what do you mean? Don't you do the high knee drills and the running on the balls? Mm, no. We've done isometrics and, and we've done drills to change your form from the inside out and again most young kids can't even hold themselves in in the correct position yet we're going to have them run and make that even worse yeah so.
1: you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah i i feel like someone should do a research study this would be a cool one if it was like you know, take a group of i don't know nine to twelve year olds and have them sprint and if you'd have to be able to objectively quantify how well they're running, I guess, maybe like what limbs are doing and things like that, but just have them do extreme ISOs and maybe, you know, spend more time playing on the playground or something (laughs) and then have them go back a few months later and see how much better it is without having done a single a skip or, you know, or what speed ladder or whatever. And then maybe, I don't know, then maybe some people would think that's a little bit better, but I'm not even sure at that point. yeah yeah uh hey cool so hey so out of the the vein of the isometrics so you got those in uh kids are holding position well maybe the athletes are a little older uh at what point or i know in our last podcast together i think it was the one that we did way back like episode eight uh, i think as my recall goes but you had talked about oscillatory isometrics how much you love those uh and so could you just expand a little bit on that? So what are some favorite um, like like movements you tend to pair the oscillatory isometrics with? I know you could do it with anything, uh, but are there any kind of, like, common go-tos like this works really well uh, that you yeah. use?
0: Um, yeah, I, I, I've seen oscillating isometrics explained a lot of different ways. Um, and I'm not going to say a lot because a lot of people don't use them, but the people who do use them seem to have a different... Variation of of how they do them. Like I've I've watched Cal do his oscillating isometrics. Mine are completely different. Um, There's no right or wrong. It's just the term oscillating isometrics is what you're going to create that environment. But um, I'll tell you the the exercises I do love. I do love hip flexion isometrics or uh, oscillating isometrics. I like glute ham oscillating isometric where I manually create that oscillating. Um, I like... um, I like squatting, oscillating isometrics. Um, I don't love it, but I but I like it. But I like the hip flexion probably the best. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, I think that's where true athleticism comes to a, I think that's everything in a nutshell. You have to build tension, and then you have to release it and allow your tendon system to drive the work, and then you have to have your muscular system stabilized. So it's everything that happens in sport happens in that exercise and the more creative you can be based off the exercise you're doing and creating that stimulus the, the, i think the better output that you're going to get from the system so um yeah it's a big part of what i do
1: oh, i love it how do you uh so could you explain those two really quickly too because with the hip flexor uh, i mean you could work your i guess you could do like a standing hip flexor the one where you're like prone on your elbow i know i see cal uh, Dietz do that a lot where it's like your o- opposite leg Opposite foot, opposite elbow when you're prone. How do you like to set that up? And can you just share a little bit about like setting up that uh, OI hip flexor?
0: Have you ever seen Jay's hip flexion isos where, where everything's at a 90 degree? So if I got my back leg up on, it's like a Bulgarian squat,
1: right? Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: So, yeah, I'll be in those positions with dumbbells. Um, and we'll get down into almost an extreme position. And from that position, I will tell them to tense every muscle in their body and then relax, and they move about this much off the bounce. And it's not a big drop, because that'd be more reactive. It's a small drop, but that drop does two different things. From a building tension and releasing tension, answers that equation. From um, working on your mobility around that joint, it's awesome. Um, And then again, your elasticity of of the bounce, which I think is a huge component. Um, So it ties strength and speed together seamlessly, I think. Um, So we use that a ton. And then I'll take dumbbells and put them in both hands. I'll put dumbbells in, um, if they're left legs forward, I'll put it in their right arm. If they're left legs forward, I'll put it in their left arm. I'll change the stimulus that way and the load that way. Um, And then I'll also apply force, like in a glute ham. I'll have them get into a pretty much an isometric contraction glute ham. And then I'm pushing on the small of their back. Um and I'm creating that
1: oscillatory effect. Oh, gotcha. So they push in they're in the glute ham, they push into your hands and then they can like relax it really fast, basically. You get them the feedback?
0: Yeah. If they're just holding that position, there's enough tension built there to where they have to release and then come back up. So that would be without anything. They could build it, drop and come back okay. up. I make them hold it here and I I push and I create that oscillation. Gotcha. Then we'll single leg stuff and we'll do that. And what's crazy is I saw Franz Bosch doing that in a video. And again, it's, it's creating that imperfect world with that oscillating effect. Sometimes it's controlled by you. Sometimes it's controlled by an outside object.
1: I like it. Yeah. It's like the, the robust factor and the, the variability to it. That's cool.
0: Correct. Yep.
1: That's cool. I, yeah, I miss, for some reason, when you mentioned uh, hip flexion work, uh, I, I, for some reason, I was thinking like standing hip flex or something or other. Uh, but then I do remember back in the, the – was it the old DB Hammerbook? Or you know as far was the HF split squat or whatever. It, O-I-H-F yeah. that thing was. And I've used that and I love it. I, I didn't – I think if I would have known a little bit more like I know now and listening to you, I think I could have coached it a little better with my athletes because I have people who just couldn't get it How at my coaching level back in the day where I like just didn't know. I'm like, you can't get it. I don't know what to say to you. Um, but I love that thing.
0: I just think that the- – teaching and teaching it, I think is really important. And again, the way I teach it or the way DB taught me how to do it and the way I see other people do it are different. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but like building up peak tension in that, in that isometric position and then releasing everything to bounce right back to get to that again. And again, you have to explain to athletes that it's not how fast you do the repetitions—one, two, three, four, five—it's the quality of the repetition and building peak tension each time, in between each rep.
1: Yeah, I love it, man. I was actually just thinking, next time I do it, I'm probably gonna do some of those shutters that we were talking yeah. about beforehand to kind of get ready—you know, get ready for that.
0: A shutter is an oscillating effect, right? I mean, yes. Yeah. And and again, that's that's brain stuff to me. Um, a shutter like I always wondered like w- w- when you when you make a system like w- when your little sister would come around the corner and scare you when you were a kid and you jump up in the air <laughs> full body tension that's a powerful reflex we can use that we can we can use that as part of the sensory stuff that we do to get the output we want
1: yeah I love it uh and then too yeah so for people listening at home to shutters uh I mean so you probably explain it better than I but just standing there and pretty much quickly contracting or relaxing every muscle in your body i guess uh I've, I've only done once so
0: yeah and i gotta tell you that's a teachable thing too because like we were doing shutters the other day we were doing flying tents and uh we were doing shutters before and we were, i was trying to um chart everything out and see what happened and every kid got, well, it depends. We did it after our six one. So every kid ran a little bit faster or they ran the exact same time, which from a fatigue standpoint was awesome. Yeah. Um, but most kids, when you watch them shudder, I'm going down the line. we got 40 kids running flying 10s and I'm going, you can't do that because you can't control your system in that jerk response. Like it's, it's incredible. So you have to practice it. And the way you practice it is you get really relaxed Boom, and then you, then you hit it, and it has to be like you're turning on a light switch, or else it's not going to give the potentiation effect that you're looking for, so I tell them, it's like your little sister scares you in the middle of the night, and you just completely tensed up, and then you had to relax, because you had to relax to figure out which way you're going to run, and it's a startle reflex.
1: Yeah. It makes me think of the cat, like throw the, what he throw the cucumber behind the cat? That was that, that big thing that was out a few years ago. Anytime you scare a cat, it is unbelievable how fast that thing will just boom. And then it relaxes and it's, it's crazy, but I like that cue. I will, I'll keep that in mind too. I, I think a lot of cueing that stuff has got to be creating that feeling in the athlete's brain or what they can identify with. Cause some of them probably just don't get it naturally.
0: Once they get that, then they can start to transfer that skill into other things because some people just can't hit that speed component, can't hit that twitch. I don't even know if that's the right term, but, but that twitch, you can't, if you've never done it, you've never felt it. So if you can teach it through a startle reflex, like I'll walk up behind people when they're completely relaxed and clap my hands, you'll see them do that. That's what we're looking for. That's a startle reflex. That is powerful. That's innate. It's hardwired in every one of us.
1: Yeah, I would be a good way to do it too. Set a challenge up where someone just has to scare a person and make them jump reflexively. To um, with with all the cameras these days too, I'm sure you could, you know, be like, "Oh, that was a good one." That you look at look how much power you have. And you didn't even know about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we got a running joke on our on our football team with the coaches is, it, it, like, I'm, I I love to watch video of animals in the wild, and and just from the way they run, how tendon-driven they are, to all their innate reflexes. Like, if you ever watch, and they have some of this stuff on YouTube, like if you have, and and they've done this with polar bears and, and, and antelope. So when an antelope is going to get killed by a lion, it will go into this moral response where it just completely gets stiff, and it falls over, and the lion stops, eating it because it thinks it's dead already and he wanted to kill it. So he's tearing it up, tearing it up, and then you'll see the lion stop, let go, step back, and the deer will get up and take off like nothing ever happened. And it's this hardwired response in their body that they just go stiff and they get rigor mortis. Like I look at that and go, you know what? We have that in us. Can you create that type of stiffness and and elicit those types of responses? And that's kind of neat. So that's where my training has gone It's all reflex driven all brain stuff all neural reflexes stuff like that
1: i love it i love watching animals and i love that you brought that up i feel like and watching animals it's where it's at it's like you want to i mean yeah watching michael jordan's cool or Same bolt's cool but you know what's really cool is watch like a cheetah or you know watch a bobcat jump or a bird like take off i mean
0: it's to you, to guys like you and I, but it's not cool when other people are watching you watch and going, what are you doing? I'm, yeah. like, well, I'm studying the human body because we can do these things. Like, I'm going to tell you, like I heard a guy speak reflexively one time on, on just the ears, right? So when you, when you hear, a, when you whistle and you hear a dog and you see a dog's ears turn, right? So a, a dog's ears will lift when you go, right? We have that in us, but it's, it's a deadened reflex. We don't use it anymore. But if you tug on somebody's ear like this, it relaxes the musculature on that side of the neck and and allows you to turn your neck. So if someone comes to me and they have a stiff neck and I tug on that ear and I rotate their head, that stiffness is gone. And it's a reflex. We don't use it anymore. But if you stimulate it, good things happen. So it's, it's learning things like that that help us in our craft and it's cool
1: yeah that was a that was a question that i i had for you as uh approaching an athlete's reflex system is there anything else in terms of reflexes that you want to expand on and various things you're trying to train
0: well again we, we talked about this when we were offers. is you have to have that sensory that sensory input to get a motor output right so you can talk about neural reflexes visual motor stuff touch vibration light any of those things are going to recreate create a great motor response for you um just even like warming up, like we'll warm up, and we're, rubbing, we're rubbing areas that I want blood to. So make sure the brain's waking up and knowing where each muscle is. Today we had a kid in with a hamstring issue going on, um, and I'm, I'm rubbing the back of his leg. I'm making sure his brain knows exactly where his muscular system is in space. And he's like, well, yeah, all you did was rub my leg, and it feels better. Yeah. it's, it's- the power of the brain.
1: The the power of touch in any of that stuff is I mean even just something as simple as a knee you know a little patellar strap or a thigh sleeve like there's a reason that stuff I mean it's simple but there's a reason that stuff is effective in terms of stimulating the the sensation.
0: Absolutely, and and when you get into you know our world of of running and jumping it's, it's human locomotion is this this interplay right between mechanical energy neurological energy so these reflexes play a huge role in freeing up the system and and you can get some pretty huge responses in in just the gate alone
1: you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah is there any uh is there any other reflexes that you tend to go to i i, I mean the ones i'm familiar with are the cross-six sensor stumble reflex Uh, are there anything, is there any kind of, um, you mentioned, you mentioned the ear and, and I would kind of wonder, is there any other hidden reflexes that we, we don't use? Is there any specific reflexes you tend to target? Is there any like other movements or drills where like this is to get this reflex going or anything like that?
0: Well, posture is reflexive. All right. So we, we always like, and, and I did a lot of this, like when I, when I was first got into to Jay stuff and we're studying posture and all this stuff. Posture is reflexive. It's not something, like whenever you start to speak about posture, you'll see people do this. And they'll sit up and they'll spread their shoulders. <laughs> right? But that's not, its a that's reflexive. You can't control, your brain sets that. So you have to do different things to communicate brain to body to make that postural change. And a lot of it is set, believe it or not, by your eyes and your feet, right? So how your, your eyes see the horizon is basically what your posture is going to look like. How your feet feel the ground is what your posture is going to look like. But everybody seems to say, "Oh, if you, you got to make sure you're training your backside to make sure your subscaps are." But I get it, but I got to tell you, the muscular system's along for the ride. If you're not impacting your brain and your eyes, which is the highest, like I believe that that the eyes it's like looking into your brain. And when you can actually see your brain and make make adjustments based off that i think that's where you can get a huge change and posture for us in sprinting is huge so if we can impact that through our eyes and through our feet it's great it's good
1: stuff oh yeah i i like that i'm i'm glad you brought that up i that uh yeah posture being reflexive uh i know just doing the postural restoration institute courses too they'll say the exact same thing and i think back to all you know Every athlete I've trained for years, I've never made anyone's posture better ever by saying, pull your shoulders back when you squat or deadlift or or hold this plank better and, and whatever, or I'm gonna stick a dollar in your back, you're gonna hold it. I mean, they their nervous system will adapt to be able to meet the demand of that lift, but it doesn't change anything when they stand up. Um and then compared to like doing, you know, Douglas heels, you know, act you know, the activation, all of a sudden people's posture gets better because of the brain or doing the breathing resets through the postural restoration, people's posture gets better. Uh, and it's not, yeah, all running through the brain, not <laughs> not uh, all, all the, I guess, the, the reasons that we often think uh, makes it better.
0: Different eye exercises will change your posture, will change. We do a, a technique that I that I learned from Dr. Jerry Tennant. It's called the bowling ball syndrome where the sphenoid is is off, right? So when the sphenoid is off, like I'll check people's ears and they'll be on crooked when your ears are on crooked then your hip is off when your hip is off you're rotated forward and you and your shoulders are off so we'll we'll send a contraction through the traps which balances the sphenoid which takes care of the crooked ears and the hips it's incredible and it's got nothing to do with stand up tall and do the I don't care if you stand up tall you're still going to have a crooked shoulder you're still going to have your ears on crooked so you have to address the brain, and um, and I was talking to Chris about this at, at the, the TFC this like, and in June. I'm going to talk about that. I mean, that's basically all I'm doing, and, and all the other lifting stuff and plyometrics, that's all good stuff. It's great, but you can make it better when, when you're hardwired right to your brain.
1: Yeah, the, the brain is so huge. I, I, I'd love to talk with you a little bit along those lines, too, in uh, compensation and muscular recruitment patterning and uh neurological resistance uh i know i had the i had I've had the arp wave used on me before and and uh you do you know having that done and then doing some super slow stuff and isometrics and then my muscular resistance was down and uh, i always wonder and i actually was just talking with uh jerome simeon last week about this but just uh how to go around or how to fix compensation patterns and i know there's certainly a lot of ways uh but what are some of the most common uh, compensations or muscular resistances that you tend to see? And how do you tend to address those?
0: I, I think you, you try to address it first through gait. Just a regular walk pattern. You can tell different things are going on. Because again, it's a harmony of those reflexes going on when you walk. And when you run, It's just a it just highlights them more, right? So I think... If you can do exercises and then have somebody walk and watch the impact it has on their gait, then you know that that exercise is efficient for that person. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um was it Paul uh I think Paul Check. Paul Check had called it like the parking lot test too. If you do therapy on someone they should be able to walk or walk to the parking lot their car and back and Still be walking fine. Like, you know, it should, it's whatever you did should have. I think I'm going off a tangent actually, but I know what you mean. Sorry.
0: It's crazy because all these different people that I've learned from, it all comes back to basically the same stuff. And like, I, I used to, when I hear Paul Check speak when I was 25 years old, I thought he was crazy. But now you come full circle and you go, you know what? He <laughs> probably knew what he was talking about. <laughs> it's the way your brain communicates with the body. Um, and then from that, it's if a particular exercise, or a stimulus improves your gait, then it's good. It's it's good, it's good to use. Um, so we'll do a lot of that. Then there's the whole impact that lifting has on your reflexive system, which in the last two years I've figured this out and it's not good. I mean, and I learned it, and I don't wanna say his name, through Louis Simmons. I mean, his reflex system is shot because he spends his life bilaterally lifting heavy objects, you have to include your brain in that work or it's going to shut off. Um, so I think patterns will develop off of that. Um, so you, you need to be highly aware of, of things that develop through your training. So I always say there's a negative consequence to the things that you're doing. You have to be able to address them and those issues as they arise in the training program
1: sure uh, fascinating we just said too and i know you've given the louis anecdote before with like the cross crawl uh and the sleds and, and uh like a power lifter who's very bilateral uh if they can connect their left side to the right side and get their reflexes going by doing uh I'm, I'm trying to remember the it was just like a standing uh, knee to elbow i can't yeah I'm, my, my brain is failing man what that's called i've done it like i've had it done, i've prescribed it a million times um cross crawl, yeah standing cross crawl uh, yeah standing cross crawl to re-stimulate those reflexes and kind of like continue to improve uh, but what's the like what would you say the balance is i mean i know single single and double leg single versus double leg training will probably be debated to the ends of the earth and back yep. <laughs> uh but what's your take on the balance and when you do bilateral work what's um I guess just by pulling with the hamstrings and, and, uh, you know, at least inhibition in the sagittal plane is probably good. But what's your take on the balance between single and double leg work?
0: I'm going to be honest with you. I think they all have merit. I think they're all bad for you. I think they're all good for you. I, I think it's, again, it's what's the end product that you're looking for? What's that end output you want? And when you know that, then you know that if you're going to do a squat, you're going to get this negative impact over here, and then you're going to get this positive impact. How are you going to address the negative? How are you going to address the positive? How are you going to roll with it? So to me, single leg stuff, you could create research all around how good it is. You can also create all the research. Where, oh, it's bad. It's a same thing with double leg. So my thing is, is how does it impact your brain and how does your body like it? And I know this, when we do bilateral movement and I muscle test, people are off for a period of time. They walk, it's restored. So what I do is if I'm doing a bilateral movement, I'm doing some type of cross crawl pattern afterwards to make the brain happy again. So I got what I wanted out of the basic strength of the squat, but then I've reset that pattern with that cross crawl. So now six months down the road, I'm not going to get into a position where I've pigeonhole myself with my reflexes
1: yeah that's that's an interesting way of putting it i I really like how you said too like everything has a good and everything has a bad like if squats were only good <laughs> then i mean you might as well you know try to squat a thousand pounds or as much as you're humanly capable of and, and then just go to do that and do your sport or pick a few things i mean or or any lift even even a rear foot elevated split squat it has some negative or, or whatever exercise um but that's a good way of putting it and I um I like that. I almost feel like too like that's kind of probably why if you're going to do french contrast, you'd pair squats with double leg vertical jumps. It kind of fits, you know, it's yeah. it fits together a little bit better.
0: I think people spend too much time arguing their philosophies that they believe in as opposed to understanding that there's a lot of different means to an end, right? But again, if you're not taking all your qualities with you with your brain, it's not going to happen. And then you'll be able to like, like somebody will then be correct about the squat. How it was. See, I told you it was bad for you. <laughs> Why was it bad? And it was good for a period of time. And again, the, the people will go back and forth, but it's more, it's more neurological in nature. It really is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. People really, if people are against something, they always, there's always something that's a little bad about any exercise to latch onto if you really want to fight a battle. Uh, yeah. So. But
0: one of the things that I think people leave out is is complex movements, right? So I think we need to challenge the brain with complex, novel, different types of movements to make sure that it's – and that's why I think like things like gymnastics and tumbling, and that's where that stuff comes in. And you'll have a lot of people who just preach, oh, gymnastics are great. For a football player, it's not the best. However, it does offer the brain – a different way to learn movements. And when you learn new things, it opens up more wires in your brain and that complex move, the brain loves it. So we add those things into our, our workouts, figure eights, lying figure eights, different movements or something that I'm telling them to do that they've never done before.
1: Uh, I along those lines, I I read a quote in the the DB Hammer emails, <laughs> uh, one of so he some of many emails of the, the stacks and stacks you have, um, that if you keep beating the same motor units and firing patterns to death, then they'll play dead until you revive them, and you do this by revive them by switching up the movement uh, method brackets and modality, uh, and kind of along the lines of what you just said. So uh, how do you approach improving the athlete's performance after their gains have stalled out? How do you kind of go through what's your method in getting an athlete to that next plateau by introducing new things to their brain and nervous system and things to learn?
0: Okay, so if I had to guess, those emails are minimal 10 years old. Do you think maybe maybe more?
1: Oh, yeah. No, well, they, they are circa, well, before the book came out in, shoot, when was that? 2005, 2006? Yeah. So, yeah, the 12 plus.
0: Okay, so when he talks about changing modalities and brackets and all that stuff, fascinating stuff to us. What I'm speaking about right now is the exact same thing. as It's changing your movement patterns, but I'm talking about stimulating your brain, where he's talking about motor unit recruitment and all this stuff. It's the same thing. He just got it through a different way, but he changed the pattern of movement. He changed a bracket of energy He changed it. So now the brain has to get re-engaged in that and then progress occurs. So there's a lot of different, now, and if you look at Franz Bosch's stuff coming out, where he's creating a whole bunch of instability up top to change those patterns. So the system becomes more plastic and can move and adapt to different things. So I, everybody's doing the same thing; they just explain it differently.
1: Yeah, I think so. I hear those anecdotes a lot from different uh, people in different situations. Uh, one of the ones I thought was really cool, and I had this almost like it was almost epiphany of some sort of, of sorts uh, a few days ago. And it was like I've heard this enough times that I feel like it should be standard practice in track and field that twice a year for three weeks you can't run and you can't you know jump; you can't do your event. And you have to do something else. Because like, you hear about that stuff all the time where an athlete had to do something else to make do. And then they went and PR'd at the end of the the three weeks. We see it a lot. And I mean, I'm mean, i sure there's probably a little bit of overtraining at play before they got hurt or whatever their limitation was. Um, but I always feel like people usually come out on the good side of that when they're doing something else and when they're driven. And their nervous system is learning something new and and they're 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 getting into a different pattern they the old pattern kind of i like that was um the, the idea of like beating the firing pattern to death <laughs> uh i like the idea of something new
0: and, and again back 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 a long time ago I, um so when peter wayans research came out i was talking to a man from illinois um not chris this guy ken jakowski who i became very close with and, and we were talking about Back, back then it was how the therapists are using Swiss balls and all kinds of stuff like that. And he's like, the problem with debating against not using a Swiss ball, these athletes that are in track and field that pull their hamstring, then they go into that rehab setting, then they come out and they run faster. So somebody thought that balancing on the Swiss ball was what, di- no, it was a different stimulus that was going on, it was a novel Complex movement stimulated the brain rehabbed an injury came back and now you're faster same as changing and go do something else don't triple jump throw the shot put with your other hand do something different same thing
1: you're listening to the just Fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah all that rehab stuff too is very uh, mindful, I think, compared to regular training, sometimes there it or more sensation is required. Like there's a lot more input, sensory input, and people are a lot more aware of what's going on with their body. I think that has a lot to to do it with it as well.
0: No question, no question. Yep.
1: Uh, Dan, I'd like to ask you, and I I think about this a lot myself. Uh, but what's the point where you would consider? Uh, or maybe like um, this makes me think a little bit like Anna, Anatoly Bondur, He would get these thors who were just these big, strong dudes, benching five hundred or whatever, and then for however long they weren't allowed to lift more than one hundred seventy-five pounds, <laughs> and and then they would eventually PR again. Uh, but what's the point where you would consider completely eliminating, uh, st- well, saying an athlete is mature, uh, completely eliminating strength work, or I guess you back in the you know speak the duration work. Uh, from an athlete's program. And then how long would you do that for?
0: I think it really depends on each individual athlete. And when you assess them and how they move, are they using in high speed movements? Are they using their muscular system to stabilize themselves and driving themselves through the tendon system? So I, I think you can tell that when you watch somebody run. Like I, I was watching kids on our track team do flying 10 meters today, and I was thinking as they're coming down, there's more strength work that needs to happen. There's more plyometric work. You can tell what they need. So can you be too strong? Probably. But, again, that that mentality is thought of as if the reflex system isn't coming along for the ride. Mm-hmm. So maybe – Our thought process is, oh, we're we're strong enough already because our reflex system is dampened and now it's having a negative effect on our explosive single leg or running or jumping or our skill work. So the more I think about it, I don't think strength training is is awful for you to a point if you're really strong. I think if it's has coordinated movement with it, I think it's really good still. So I guess I'm on both sides of that fence. Yeah, you, should, you can't squat 5,000 pounds and you're going to get faster because there's going to be a point where you, the strength doesn't play a role unless there's coordination involved. So it's a two edged sword.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just like you said, like there's those almost like little things. There's something little that's bad with everything. And even something as simple, I've always felt like if you just go out of the weight room and you just do sprint strides at the end or just did some like quick plyometrics, you'd be in a. people talk about that like I've heard people say you know for some reason my athletes were more recovered the next day when we did plyometrics after lifting or some sprinting or something like that so it makes sense from the reflex it's almost like you're retuning the reflexes and you're getting that back online
0: if, if everything in the organism is developing at the same rate nothing gets left behind so you won't see the negative consequences glare as much as you would if you were just hanging and banging in the weight room. Like I I know this Cal does a ton of those single leg, um, those, those single, single leg lifts, right. Where they're going really heavy, super maximal. Yeah. Yeah. And They don't have any, he's getting great results. Mm -hmm. They're also doing a lot of other stuff. Some, you know, some contralateral stuff, the brain stimulation stuff, you know, RPR. So I think when you bring the entire organism as a whole and move it forward, I, I don't, I don't think you could have too much of anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you're, I I always, I like the idea of, I, it's easy to get, uh, and I've even been there like the last, like I've been there at points where I'm just like, oh, athletes can't like strain under heavyweights ever. Like that's like so bad, but it's like if you're doing other stuff, that's good. Like, you know, come on, like you're, <laughs> it's not going to kill you. Like as long as the whole of your program is the right thing, it's, you know you're going to you're going to get better and uh i i like that you brought that up
0: like i have a i have a girl right now on the track team that
1: i know she's
0: fast she can't figure out that twitch part of it like we were talking about before with the with the shutters I, i'm contemplating putting her under some heavy loads just so she understands that that tension she needs to build and again that's not going to make her run fast but it's going to show her mind a little bit about what that, that that contraction feels like. You know, and then you try to weave it back into sprinting, which is it's a little bit more complex than that. But um yeah, I was talking to her mother about it today. So we gotta get her through that speed barrier and then you'll see a huge speed increase. As soon as she understands that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just just like hammering hammering tension in the brain for just a little bit longer. <laughs> and uh getting to figure it out uh well you mentioned super maximal actually that was a that's the last question i have for you i, I and i see uh with with cal system to the triphasic i've seen people who do different forms of that and and all sorts of uh variations but um with super maximal being the lead off often but what's your take on super maximally centric loading i know we've had other people on the show chat about it but how do you do you implement it if so how when what's your take on super maximally centric work
0: I, I would say more mine is based off of, of plyometrics in nature. So mm-hmm. we'll pull over speed, pull somebody into the ground off of a box because, again, and this is all DB stuff, I, I believe that your brain knows gravity, your brain understands the rate at which you fall, and when you begin to manipulate that with bands, now you're training something neurological. Um, so we will do that when somebody can show me that they can hold positions and all that good stuff. But, um yeah so i think it has merit i what cal's doing is working um i haven't done that a ton in terms of just heavy loading um super maximum like that but i've done it with plyometrics and we've jumped off some pretty high boxes and i notice i say jump off i don't very rarely jump up um and we've pulled with bands and we've created that type of of um high intensity stuff but uh you know, not a lot of, of what, what Cal's doing in, in the triphasic and that super maximal
1: stuff. Sure. I, yeah, myself and I probably am, I'm also a little biased in my, like I'm much more a plyometric athlete than I am a, a heavy lifting athlete, but I've always felt like I'm going to go to plyometrics first before I try to throw a ton of weight on your back and get as much as I can out of that. And then if maybe we could still keep going with super maximal work, but um, no, I, I totally agree. I like the idea of, if you're going to train you know, full range using the, the resistance and the isos and then the plyos takes care of that short yep. quarter squat type stuff for the most part.
0: So about two years ago, two years ago, maybe 2015, that, that, that lady Rio, um, Ebony Rio came out with that tendon research on um, isometric stuff. So if you if you go into Franz Bosch's stuff if you and, and you start to really take all this research that's out there being strong isometrically is really, really important for for locomotion, <laughs> really important, whether it be through your foot complex or through your hamstring complex. Isometric contractions are where it's at. So then it's tendon strength. Can your tendon store and release energy and do it over and over and over again without being in a fatigue state or going into a faulty recruitment pattern? So, So I started doing isometric tendon work, listening to a metronome, getting the brain cortically involved in in the actual strength training. And then I was talking to Chris last week, and he's going to have some cool research that he found, and he's going to talk about it at TFC, about this lady who was, who's talking tendon research saying, we don't do enough isometric work at length to be able to make sure these tendons can store and release energy over longer periods of time. Um, and how Certain foot positions, so like your acceleration position, and then your maximal velocity position can all be trained isometrically. So I've been doing a lot of that lately,
1: a lot. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, the tendons don't get enough love, I think, in our profession. I'm always interested in anything that, that's talking about training them or training them positionally. I think that's good stuff.
0: Yeah. Read Rio's research. Yeah. But she's she's good at She's got some good stuff.
1: Yeah, shoot, shoot it to me if you can. I'll I'll put it in the show notes here at the end of the episode. Yep. All awesome. right. Awesome, Dan. Well, hey, that's all the questions I got. Thank you so <laughs> much for your time. It is always a pleasure, man. All right, buddy. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. always love talking, in you know, sport, Jay Schrader, neurology. That stuff is awesome. And I think the more commonplace that becomes just, and the more ready the industry is for it, the more athletes that are going to be setting personal bests and breaking through ceilings. And uh, again, it's just such inspirational work for me. I hope it was for you as well. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great guest. In the meantime, please visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. K Box, Gym wear, free Freelap Timing System, Muscle Stimulators, Force Plates. They got it. They are the best of in each of the sport, tech, and training category. Also, have a great blog. So be sure to check them out. Also, finally, if you get a chance, please drop us a rating or a view. iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to would totally appreciate that. We'll see you guys next week.